You're listening to a message brought to you by Christian Life Church Ross on Y. To find out more about us, go to www.clch.cc. This is so good. This is my first time preaching in this building. Definitely not the first time preaching to Ross Church. And it's so good to look out on the fruit of faith um, in front of here right now. Um, I remember preaching in Ross Church to six people, including the band and the PA guy. Um, I remember doing worship to another person in the congregation, and that was it. Um, I remember um, Tim and Dree when their little girls, who were maybe seven and eight at the time, um, were laying hands on the pillars of Tudorville, praying for a change in this town. And now, ten-ish, nine years later, we are, you guys have the hope of this building. You have this foundation stone laid here at the front. So it's, it's a phrase I say to the guys in Leinster as well, but you have been prayed for more than you will ever know. You have more prayer over your life than you are ever aware of. So we have hope. Yeah, we have hope. Um, so yeah, thanks for inviting me here today, guys. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jason. I'm one of the elders at Christian Life Church. Um, I lead the congregation in Lempster with my wonderful wife and three daughters. So that's Paulina, Paola, Ellie Mae, Camilla, Joanna. I have to remember their names because I always forget the order. Um, and we planted Lempster Church about five, six years ago. And yeah, and I know that you guys have been involved in praying for us as well. And I can just say thank you for your prayers, for the sacrifices that you make in prayer, in fasting. It has been such a blessing to us to know that we've been covered spiritually by you guys as well. And it makes all the difference. I know it's hard when you might feel you're the only one who's praying. It might feel hard when you feel that, oh, I don't even know those guys are so far away. It makes a difference. It, you make the difference. So, making the difference. This year, our theme for the year in terms of CLC as a whole is to prepare ourselves for revival, prepare for revival. Last year, um, around about end of August, a, a, um, a validated, verified prophet um, came to Hereford Cathedral and he said to the churches of Hereford that this place, Hereford, is pregnant with revival. Hereford is pregnant with revival, which means the easy work has happened. Now the hard work starts. Everyone loves the bit before the pregnancy. Both parties involved like it very much. The pregnancy, the delivery, the growing up becomes the tricky part. But that's what God has called us to, to prepare for revival. You can feel, you can see, you can, you can smell the signs of pregnancy. So as soon as you see them, you know that there have to be steps in place, actions in place to be ready for the delivery of the baby. But I'm running ahead of myself. So um, yeah, prepare for revival. So the key verse for this kind of series is 2 Chronicles 7 verse 14, which says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray and seek and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins and heal the land. And those last three things, hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land, 
give us three truths that we can immediately get behind. Now, we believe in a God, the Christian God, the God of our faith, is a God who has an immediate personal desire to pursue you. God's desire is to hear you. God's desire is to heal you. God's desire is to forgive you. We don't believe in a Christian God fairy. We believe in the God of the Bible. We put our trust, our hope in what the Bible says. And that's amazing because what happens is when our experience, when our emotions, when our feelings go haywire, where we might feel that we're not close to God, where we might feel that there's no hope, where we might feel that we're anxious and nervous and full of fear, the Bible tells us everything we need to know about the God that we serve. So you might be sat there thinking, I don't understand prayer. You might be sat there thinking, I'm too anxious to step out into what God's got for me. You might be sat there thinking, I'm too fearful to have hope of what God has not yet changed for my future. You might be sat there thinking, how am I going to pay the change in the mortgage next year? You might be sat there thinking, how am I going to get my daughters, my kids through their teenage years still having faith? You might be sat there thinking, this is the 730th Sunday I've been at church and nothing in my heart has changed. We don't believe in the God of our experience. We believe in the God of the Bible. We don't believe in the God of our own emotions and our own feelings. Because they change. We believe in the God of the Bible. Amen? So, the bit that I'm kind of going to be focusing on today is pray and seek my face. And... So you've probably ha heard that kind of each of the elders uh, and JP are going to be taking a part of this verse and praying it out over the next five weeks. Um, it's not in order, so apologies. I don't quite know where this one fits in terms of Ross Church. But today we're going to be looking at this idea of praying and seeking God's face. And I had all my notes set up ready on my laptop. And then when I opened up this morning, despite having charged it all night, um, there was no battery on it. So apologies if I'm kind of looking at my phone quite a bit. I had to do a quick bit of um, tech origami to get the um, uh, file here and ready. So who's been involved in the past 24-hour prayer that we've just done as part of CLC? Who's, who spent time in prayer? Amazing. Um, how was it? Really good. Good. Tough, but, oh, there we go. Okay, honesty has entered the building. This is great. So how, <laughs> okay. So, prayer. Prayer can be tough, right? Prayer can be hard. Prayer can be dry. It can be dutiful. We do it because we know it's a good thing. Prayer can feel like eating your veg. You know it's good for you but it doesn't taste great. Yeah. <laughs> Martin's like, nope, I don't even eat my veg. <laughs> so, I can imagine each of you have a story or multiple stories of how you have tried to make prayer work in your life. You might be the kind of person that's kind of made, you know, January the 1st, 
I'm going to wake up at six o'clock every morning and pray for an hour. Okay? Gets to January the 3rd, and you've hit the snooze button five too many times. <laughs> and suddenly an hour just, yeah. And you can pray with your eyes closed in bed, right? Lying down. Um, you might be the kind of person that has said, right, prayer's going to be part of our family routine. We're going to pray every morning before we go to school. Um, in which case, by the time you get to day one, you realize that um, the t by the time you've got the girls dressed, by the time you've got them all there with their boots on, you're having to pray whilst you're throwing them out the door and into the car um, before you actually even get to say amen. Um, or maybe you've promised to pray with your wife every night before you go to bed. And that works out great for the first week until it comes to the point when you two have an argument that lasts for too long before the pride that both of you have stops you from saying sorry before you go to bed, inhibiting your ability to pray together. So I'm going to give you guys just three things that I'm hoping will alleviate some of the tension around prayer and just enable you to pray better. Okay? So <laughs> I'm not saying they're foolproof. I'm not saying they're foolproof, Bob. <laughs> so uh, three things. First one. Oh, no, I've missed that bit. Jump on, jump on, we'll come back to that later. So prayer. First one, keep it simple. Now, you might be the person um, who has a vocabulary the length of the Oxford Dictionary. You might be the person that has studied theology at Oxford for 17 years. Or you might be the person that just happened to meet God through a friend and you have no idea what the word Trinity even means. So in terms of our prayer life, there is nothing fancy about simply talking to God. You don't have to come at him with all these airs and graces. You don't have to come to him with a different frame of mind, with a different attitude. You come to God with exactly who you are and how you are and where you are now. You don't need to complete a ritual. You don't need to ask forgiveness before you come to God. God has already accepted you. We're going to look in a little bit how God has already invited you into his presence. We just need to open our hearts and our mouths in God's direction. Your prayers don't need an honors degree. They simply need honesty. Next one, keep it real. God has created people across the whole continuum of emotion and predispositions. So you need to get used to being you in prayer. Only you can pray the prayers that God has given you to pray. No one else can. No one else is a part of the same situation and circumstances that you are in. No one else has the same feelings, emotions, and baggage that you have. No one has the same breakthrough that you have. No one has the same faith that you have. So your prayer is never just another prayer. Your prayer is exactly the prayer that you need to pray that God will hear. Yeah? You might be there thinking when someone's, you might be in what, sometimes in a prayer meeting, you get these people who will kind of, um, they kind of have a, like a, a litany of like prayer language. And they'll kind of, um, they'll start kind of quiet and they'll kind of start, maybe they'll start um, praying really loudly. 
maybe they'll kind of just be like kind of start bringing um, tongues into their prayer. Maybe they'll start praying and you'll be like, oh my, he used alliteration. I can't do that. And you'll think, hey, he's got so many words. And he goes on for ages and ages. And you'll just start thinking, all, all I can say is, God, I'm thankful that I'm here. That's all you can do. That's all you can say. But that has nothing less, no less impact than a prayer that lasts 20 minutes, shouting, shouted by some other crazy person. I was um, in a evangelistic meeting once um, with someone in this room, and we spent like 20 minutes just like kind of saying about all these things about evangelistic strategies and techniques of how to get people involved in conversation. And um, I asked this guy in, in the meeting, I was like, so what do you think? What, what do you say right now? And he, he goes, um, to be honest, I'm amazed that God loves us. And at that point, just like the whole feeling in the room just changed. Like we spent 20 minutes making something so simple, so complex. Next one. Keep it up. Delight without discipline eventually dissipates. So what does that mean? Um, there's a, I think it was 19th or early 20th century, a guy called Fred Laubach. He was like a Christian educationalist. Um, because of what he's done, 60 million kids around the world have come to learn English better because of what he's set up. And he gives this picture of throwing rocks into a lake. If you're at the edge of a lake and you throw a rock in, what happens to the rock? It, it, it goes down. It sinks. Yeah? Then it sinks to the bottom of the lake. You throw another rock in, what's going to happen? Going to do the same. Sometimes it feels like our prayers are like those rocks. Throwing them into the lake of faith, the big unknown out there, our future to see what happens, and it just disappears. I know I threw it, I can see the ripples. But he says, if you keep doing that, if you keep throwing the rocks, if you keep at the prayer, if you keep on in discipline, in devotion, putting your prayers before God, what's going to happen is those rocks are going to start building up. Those rocks are going to start falling on top of each other. And eventually, there's going to come a time when you throw a rock and it's not going to sink. There's going to come a time when you throw a rock and it's going to land on top of the last rock that fell beneath. And that rock is going to poke above. That's going to come above the lake. At which point, it's no longer a lake. It is now solid ground. And that is the point of breakthrough. Now, I preached this a couple of weeks ago. And someone just said to me at the end, I was like, they said, um, they said I, just, I find that so hard that God wouldn't listen to my first prayer, but would listen to my 4,578th prayer. I was like, I, I don't get it. I don't get it. I would love for God to be able to be like, right, prayer number one, sorted. Yep, done. But that is not how he works. Ask me why. I don't know. I don't. We believe in the God of the Bible, not the God of our emotions and our feelings and our desires. Revelation tells us that the prayers of the saints are filling up, filling up. I think it's like a sensor of incense. Your prayers are filling up the heavenly places with faith. Your prayers are filling up the space around you with destiny and purpose. There are countless stories of people in the Bible who had to work with God to get to the place they wanted. And there's a famous story of Abraham 
who um, praying for the, for the salvation of a city, he got to a stage where God was like, I want to see 50 people. If I don't see 50 people, 50 holy people, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham's like, no, 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 no. Pray for 40. I'll make it 40. And God's like, okay, for 40 people, I will save the city. And Abraham's like, no, no, make it 30. And God's like, okay, make it 30. And Abraham gets him down. I think he gets him to like, is it 5, 10? 10. He gets him down to 10. And you're kind, of, you're kind of reading it. You're like, Abraham, go for one more. Go for one more. And Abraham just stops. He stops. And the city is destroyed. You don't know the power of the prayers that you make. Decades, years, you might have been praying for something. There will be change. Keep it up. So it doesn't come through praying the right words or having the right formula. But instead, it comes from daily commitment to not giving up and not having stopped one prayer too soon. You've probably heard it before that anything worth doing is worth doing badly. So don't think that just because you might be coming to prayer as a last resort or at the end of your day or even with a bad attitude, that it's any less good. If we only prayed when we felt spiritual, if we only prayed when we felt holy, then very few of us would be praying. So we need to build the habit of turning to prayer whenever the opportunity arises, no matter the context or the feeling or our heart. We need to imagine prayer a bit like dating and marriage. So, go with me with this. When you're dating, you're on your best behavior. Yeah? Yeah, Keith's laughing because he's like, yeah, <laughs> it's all gone downhill now. <laughs> Judy's nodding. Um, you are on your best behavior. And this is like kind of us with God. Like kind of when you first kind of get saved, when you first kind of meet with God, kind of you're just like, ah, oh. you, you feel the electricity, you feel the passion again. Um, you're just like thinking anything that might make you slightly sinful, you are escaping that. You're like Netflix, no thanks. McDonald's, I'm going vegan. You're just like anything that might make you even slightly dirty on the inside, you're trying to, trying to stay away from. Um, and then marriage happens. <laughs> marriage happens. And there's the honeymoon, and that's like kind of the pinnacle. And then, I don't know when it happens, but it happens. There's a moment when the desire, the electricity, the chemistry just doesn't quite hit the same way. The conversations that used to flow with the glasses of wine that you had after a meal suddenly seem to be quite dry. And at this point, you think, pretty, pretty sure we loved each other. So what's different? I mean, the key word there would be familiarity. You're excited about something because it's new, because it's different. You can go on an adventure to discover more about each other. But when it comes to the time when that adventure is no longer fantastic and um, fan fantastical, something more than chemistry is needed. Something more than desire is necessary. And this is discipline. A date night. Who here has a date night who's married? Yeah, good, it's good. 
You don't need a date night in the first few weeks of honeymoon. Every night is date night. It's great. But there will come a time when date night is absolutely necessary, probably for the salvation of your marriage, <laughs> to be completely honest. Because you need time set aside where you're going to deliberately focus and chase and pursue each other. Where the desire hasn't done it, the chemistry itself hasn't done it, you don't feel like it, but you know you need it. Prayer is like this. Our lives with God are like this. There are times when you feel super switched on for God and you're like, kind of, yeah, I'm going to be at every meeting, I'm going to be there in the mornings, I'm going to be there in the evenings, I'm going to be sending encouraging messages on the WhatsApp group, I'm going to be reading my Bible, I'm going to start five different daily devotional plans today. And then a couple of weeks later, it's gone. And you go through phases. Yeah? And it's great. Strike when the iron's hot. Absolutely. But that might be once, I don't know. I don't know how holy you guys are. But maybe once or twice a year, you know, if I'm going to be completely honest. We need discipline in between those times. Now, a date night doesn't work like this. Me and my wife once found ourselves at once. Sorry, me and my wife find ourselves on occasion um, on date night on opposite ends of the sofa. You guys don't do this, um, pretty sure. On opposite ends of the sofa, scrolling through Instagram, weather reports, latest news stories, or anything else that might take your fancy. And I realized, like, wait a minute, this is date night. Since when did, like, marriage goals become sending each other memes and comparing weather reports? That's... That, wa that wasn't part of our vows. That wasn't there. So if you want to turn that scrolling into some horizontal rolling, you need to turn your faces to each other. Date night is only going to be as good as the attention that you give to your spouse. Date night is only going to be as fruitful as you turning to give your visual attention to the person who you have chosen to admire and desire. Yeah? Yeah? If you found any other way, let me know. <laughs> so this is the second part of the verse, to pray, and God says, seek my face. When God says to seek his face, he's not just asking for attention, he's asking for intimacy. Seeking the face of God is an incredibly intimate time, a moment, an environment, an atmosphere. So if date night goes well, there's an obvious fruit of that in about nine months' time, right? Yeah? Follow with me, please. <laughs> so, date night is about the intimacy. I'm not just talking about the, the sensual stuff, but it's about spending that time in each other's presence for purpose. Now, that passion can create offspring, yeah? That passion in the moment can create a child, yeah? But we live in a time now when just that passionate moment 
does not necessarily create a family. We have a lot of children without both parents in their homes. We have a lot of families who are even encouraged to not have kids. We have a lot of families where um, kids are an optional extra, where the Bible tells us that children are a thing to be blessed, desired. I know there's, there's people in church, there's lots of people who are yearning for children, desiring children. I'm not saying that you have to have them. What I'm saying is that we live in an age where culture says that children itself, even the desire for children, isn't necessarily a good thing. As Christians, we believe in family. Not just physical, there's a spiritual as well, but we believe in family. So just that passionate moment creating an offspring isn't enough to create a family because the same bed... The marriage bed, where the intimacy started off, very quickly becomes the same bed where family is formed. You might be one of those parents that said, I am never going to do co-sleeping with my baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's, not, it's maybe, what, four months, six months before suddenly the fruit of your date night is now in between you at 3 a.m. in the morning. The intimacy that created the offspring is the same root intimacy that leads to the family being formed. So the intimacy that we have with God isn't just an emotional thing, isn't just something that will get us through this week. The intimacy that you have with God is meant to lead into forming of a family, the formation of a church, the formation of God's chosen mechanism to bring hope grace, mercy, faith, salvation to the nations. When you seek God's face, God is changing your makeup. God is changing your DNA. God is changing and creating intimacy with you, between you, that emanates from you and changes the church and fellowship around you. Now, this is all well and good. I'm going to give you two quick stories before we finish. So in the book of Esther in the Bible, um, Esther's a weird book because it doesn't actually mention the Lord, the, like God's name at all. It almost seems like an add-on to the Bible. But there's a moment in the story when Esther, who's um, she's described as a basically a young, attractive lady, and, um, of course, she gets the um, nod from the king's council, and they kind of bring her up to the king as he's looking for more wives for his harem. He sees her, and he says, right, I want you. She goes into the harem. And she spends like a whole year getting trained and dressed and kind of anointed with different oils and things. Um, but during this time, she, um, she finds out about a plot of genocide. Someone in the king's council wants to kill her people. Someone in, her, in the king's council wants to kill all the Jews, her family. And here's, here's what happens. It says, all the king's servants and the people of the king's province know that if any man or woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there is but one law. 
to be put to death, except to the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live. So when Esther hears about this proposal, this plot to kill the Jews, she has a choice. She can either go to the king or not. But if she goes to the king, as you've just read, what can happen? She can die. If there's no invite there, if there's no approval from the king, by, st- by stepping in front of the king's line of sight, by stepping in front of his face, she could be put to death, legally, allowed. Yet despite that, she says, I will go to the king, even though it's against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Seeking the face of the king can also be a very perilous moment. Although there's intimacy, there's also danger. Because it's not just a marriage. It's also a court. Now, if you set your face in front of the king, in front of God, by yourself, the Bible tells us we deserve death. We deserve it. You, by yourself, stepping in front of God, deserve death. But we have a savior. We have someone who took that death, who stepped in front of God on our behalf and said, whatever comes behind me, I will take their punishment. I will take the death that they deserve. So Jesus Christ, our cornerstone on the cross, took the wrath of God so that those who come behind him, those who are covered in his blood, those who have accepted him into their lives, where Jesus now, where, is, where Jesus is at home and resides, we can come into God's line of sight with approval. God now looks at you and extends, as Esther says, the golden scepter. And he says, come. You are invited into my throne room. So Esther saw both sides of the intimacy and the peril of a king's face. Although there's intimacy, there is danger. But the results far outweigh the rewards. The peril for us is what we choose to do with that option. What you choose to do with knowing what God has called you into. Some of you might feel that you're outside of God's face at the moment. But if you were to take a few moments to think, you'd realize actually what you do need to do to get yourself into the line of sight of God. I think a few of you, if you're honest with yourselves, you know there's something that you should have done years ago, months ago, that you've not done because it's dangerous. And I don't mean dangerous in terms of life... um, What's the word? Um, Yeah, you could lose your life over it. I doubt that's kind of the case. But it might be something like moving house. It might be something like moving to Ross to be, support, and build the church here. It might be something like leaving or moving your job because the job you've got at the moment is too much on your time, too much on your attention, that it's distracting you 
from what God's got. It might be the way you're bringing up your kids. It might be the, braid, be the way that you're involved with your grandkids. There are changes that we have to make in our lives that we might regard as dangerous, perilous, or difficult, or challenge that move us into the line of sight of the king. So the challenge I'm going to finish off is this. Is God simply in your field of vision? Is God something else in your life alongside many other things? Or is God the target in your line of sight? Is he the one thing that you're trying to aim for? Is he the thing that you're orienting yourself around so that no matter what else is in the room, you see him. No matter what else is in your life, you can see him. No matter what else is going on, what other distractions or disruptions there may be, you see him. Is God just in your field of vision, another part of your life? Or is he the only part of your life that matters? If we're going to be preparing ourselves for revival, we need to be confident and comfortable with danger, with peril, and with intimacy. It comes as a package with God. That's why we're charismatic. We believe there's intimacy, and we believe there's danger. We can tell God that he's daddy God. We can tell God that he's father God, tell him about his love. But at the same time, we need the reverence that at any moment, God can stop the universe from spinning. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, and I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sins, and I will heal their land. This is the God that we serve. This is the God that we are invited into his throne room. So let's pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you are preparing your bride for Jesus. Holy Spirit, we pray that right now you're not only just working amongst the church, but you're working amongst each one of us individually. We thank you, Holy Spirit, each day for your, um, for your pushes in the right direction, your change of step that enable us to see God, that enable us to stay in God's line of sight and to have him that's the only thing important in our lives. God, I want to pray for this church. I want to pray for the people that have just been hearing what's been said. And I pray, God, that the message sets seeds in their hearts that will change the course of their future, that will change the course of their destinies, God, so that they are closer to you as a result of the truths that they've heard this morning. Whatever the, whatever the words were spoken, God, I pray that your truths are set in our hearts. Help us to respond well. Help us to respond with honor and integrity and with courage and boldness so that we're no longer worried about what might happen when we step in front of your face. 
but we realize that in order to have intimacy with you, we need to step into the line of danger. Help us, God, to have the faith that whatever you're calling us into, whatever you've got ahead for us, God, is only for our good. Help us to be prepared for revival this year, that we see many people, that we see, we see friends and family come to know you in this crazy, loving way, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Jason. Exciting days.